0: Drivers! start your engine!
1: It's time for the fastest hour of radio Southern Race Week with your
0: host, William Barber.
1: All right, every week, everybody, we tell you to tell your family, your friends, your cousins, and neighbors to tune in because this is Southern Race Week. And we couldn't do the show without you tuning in, Food Depot Grocery Stores, being a great sponsor, nor could we do it without the man sitting high atop his pit box, the man himself,
0: Alfie Romero. Alfie. Hello, William. How you doing, sir? Glad to be back with you again this week for another exciting episode of Southern Race Week Radio. Hope you're doing well, sir. Well, doing well, doing well. You know, this
1: sets in being the uh, the middle of September 2020 year, and I have made no corners about it. I am ready for 2020 to be over with uh, because I can't take no more of it. But I do want to, real quick, before we get into the NASCAR news, a big shout-out. In fact, we're going to talk with Red Farmer. Uh, you're going to talk with Red Farmer this week. He is just recovering from COVID. You had a chance to interview him right before COVID. But I also have to address all of our friends down in South, uh, uh, South Alabama, South Florida, and everything else. Hurricane Sally that came through, uh, bringing in all kind of Hurricane 2 status. Um, and poor Pensacola got hit real hard. I know they're supposed to have a race on September the 19th. Um, check out Southern Race Week on Facebook. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter. Or check out me on Instagram at WB or William Barber Radio Network on Twitter. And um, you can find out if they're having that race or go to Five fiveflagspeedway.com. But also, don't forget, they're getting ready for the big ARCA race coming up October. But, uh, Alfie, it's been a great, uh, great week otherwise. And
0: you've got – Doug Rice lined up for this week, correct? That's right. Doug Rice will be joining us from the Performance Racing Network. We'll preview a Bristol Saturday night, which will be the cutoff race of round one. And then also we'll talk playoff action as well. And then you mentioned Red Farmer. That's right. Uh, he survived COVID-19 and still plans to be racing as he recovers from covid And uh, we got a chance to talk to him. This is a little bit of a throwback segment. We interviewed him right after they announced that he was uh, the newest member of the NASCAR Hall of Fame. So we'll have an opportunity to replay that great interview. A lot of great history there with Red Farmer. And I could have talked to him for hours and hours and uh, talked to him about the history of the sport. But uh, So we have a great interview with him, also Doug Rice as well. So all that coming up for you uh, today on Southern Race Week Radio. I'm Adam Alexander, part of the NASCAR coverage on Fox Sports 1, and you're listening to Southern Race Week. All right, welcome back to this brand-new edition Southern Race Week Radio along the far-flung Southern Race Week Radio network at Southie. As we get set to go racing this weekend, the night race at Bristol Motor Speedway, also the cutoff race for the first round of the playoffs, and to discuss everything that's going on at Bristol this weekend, and also to discuss his thoughts on the playoffs and everything NASCAR and we will get his thoughts on Appalachian State football as well. Let's welcome into the Zoom Food Depot hotline and welcome in the man who will be delivering all the play-by-play actions Saturday night at Bristol for the Performance Racing Network. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Mr. Doug Rice! All right, Mr. Rice, check it in. Is that your... Alfie there at charlotte motor speedway there is that where you're checking in from
2: us yeah i'm uh i'm in my office up here on the second level of the performance racing network studios
0: well performance racing network you guys are going to be busy this uh, weekend you're going to be at uh, bristol motor speedway covering the action for the uh, cup series race uh the night race at bristol which is always exciting i mean the short track race is always a lot of fun but when it's under the uh, under the lights at the Alaska Great Coliseum. Um, always probably a, a great race for you to call, and a lot of exciting races in the past that you probably called there at Bristol Motor Speedway. As far as the tracks that you go out and cover, how, uh, how much fun is it for you to call a race at Bristol?
2: It, it, it's a lot of fun, Alfie. The big thing is to, that you never rest. At other tracks, you know, once myself or Mark Garrow were in the booth and we hand it off, we can sometimes think about something else or look at something else. But there, the cars are going to be back under our feet in seven seconds. So you, you really, unless we're in commercial, you don't get to relax at that place. And that, that's the part of the magic that I like. I'm thrilled that this year, Bristol is part of the playoffs. Before, it was always a race that sort of fell right before the playoffs started. And I think that hurt the competition there a little bit sometimes because guys would come in just wanting to protect their position and not trying to go for it, this time you've got some people that are going to be desperate to try to get up there and race, and we'll see how all that winds up.
0: Now with a change in the playoffs schedule, a lot of different races. This, this first round of the playoffs, we had Darlington, we had Martinsville, and then now we're here at Bristol for the, the cutoff race. So two great short track races there and now a great short track, kind of that wild card track because, as you said, you never really know what's going to happen there. So, as far as this first round, what, what have you taken away from those 16 drivers that you've seen in well, the first three races?
2: You know, watching
0: Darlington, uh,
2: Kevin Harvick had no business winning that race. But you got a couple of guys up there and Martin Truex Jr. and Chase Elliott that effectively eliminated each other. And here comes Harvick, who had just been average all night long, holds off Austin Dillon and wins. Uh, the next week at Richmond, Brad Keselowski just gets a stranglehold on him. Um, Not the most compelling race. There's no cautions outside of the mandatory NASCAR cautions. And Keselowski wins his fourth race. I really think he's the third best right now. And you use the word wild card. That's where I think we are. I think this will be a wild card event this weekend uh, simply because of desperation. And that's sort of the nature of Bristol. Things can happen
0: there in a hurry, and a lot of cars can get tangled up really quick. And as I'm looking at the playoff uh, grid right now, uh, Mr. Rice, you know, we got Kurt Bush in 10th, Eric Amarola, Clint Boyer, William Byron, Cole Custer, Matthew Benedetto, and Ryan Blaney, all those guys that are battling there to try to be within that top 12 to advance into the next round. And, and looking at those guys who are probably on the inside looking in, um, any of those guys down there near the bottom that you think might have a possibility of, of getting themselves a win to get into the next round or, or even get out of those, that bottom four slots? All right, Alfie, I will use the
2: most overused cliche in all of sports. Everybody likes Cinderella. Everybody wants the clock to strike and the pumpkin to turn into a coach. And they cite, well, Matt Benedetto races really well at Bristol. And that's true. And Ryan Blaney leads a lot of laps at Bristol. But you know what they don't do? They don't win. And and they're forced to having to win. And to do that, you're going to have to be Kevin Harvick, and Denny Hamlin, and Brad Keselowski, and Martin Truex Jr., I don't see that happening. Um, William Byron can get in. William Byron can point race his way in if some people in front of him slide back to him. I don't realistically think Cole Custer can do that. I don't think De Benedetto, De Benedetto can't do that. Ryan Blaney can't do that. I really think the only way they could get in would be to win, and I think that's That's a long shot at best. That's a a 50-to-1 shot that Matt Benedetto is going to pick up his first win ever in a playoff cutoff race. Or that Ryan Blaney, who has been, I think, the biggest disappointment, not just in the playoffs, but maybe of the year outside of Kyle Busch. Because look at what Penske's doing. And Ryan
0: Blaney has one win at Talladega. And I, I don't know. That just doesn't say a lot. Speaking with Doug Rice here, the Performance Racing Network, as we get set to go playoff racing this uh, Saturday night under the lights at, at uh, Bristol Motor Speedway. Now, coming out of Atlanta, our, the main man here, of course, is uh, Chase Elliott. of the Roval last year. The next three races after this will be Vegas, Talladega, and Charlotte. Now, you won the Roval last year, and then after that, it kind of seemed to fizzle out there at the end, uh, coming off that big win. We know for sure he'll probably get into the next round, but... Do you see him possibly being one of those final four drivers, or how far do you think he can get up there? You know, Chase has had
2: a lot of races he could have won this year, especially when we first came back from the pause in the racing action. Uh, He could have won the 600. He could have won at Darlington a couple of weeks ago. He's had about four races that circumstances took him out of that realistically he could have won. They find that again, he's got a shot. Is he a favorite? I I don't think so. I think the four best right now are Hamlin, Harvick, Keselowski, and probably Truex. I don't think he's far behind them, but he cannot let the Roval get away from him. He needs a great run there or a win there, but he can't just depend on winning the Roval like he did last year and that propelling him on. They're going to have to do something else after that. So I'll be curious. I know a lot of people love the guy, want to see him do well. NASCAR wants him to do well because he is so popular. But if, if, if they can find a little bit, and I hate to use the word luck, but they need they need a little bit of racing luck this to, to get them through these last eight races.
0: Now, you pretty much have told us who your final four is, that so you, you kind of figure will be there at the end. If there was someone that you might think could sneak in outside of those four, a sleeper, what, what are those sleepers you think that possibly maybe might get into that final four that we might not expect to see there? Actually, I think Chase Elliott
2: might be my sleeper a little bit. I really do. And I'll tell you, the ultimate sleeper right now, though, is Austin Dillon. I mean, he has two top five finishes in the first two races of the playoffs in his career, Austin Dillon has never had back-to-back top fives. I think they have found some speed. I've talked to people that know a lot more about race cars than I do, and they see that car looks really balanced on the racetrack. It's, you know, it, it's like the Goldilocks' bed. It's not too hard, it's not too soft. It's not too tight, it's not so loose, and Austin's driving it really well. So if, if you want to look for the ultimate sleeper, it's Austin Dillon. Outside of Austin Dillon, uh, I'll go chase Elliott. I don't think Eric Almarola gets up there and makes noise. I don't think it's Kirk Busch. I don't think it's Kyle Busch. Something, something is wrong at the 18 team this year. There's, it's hard to believe that we've gone uh, 28 races into the season and Kyle Busch hasn't won a race and only been in position to win one or two. The other thing is, you know, normally he comes in, even last year when he came in, He hadn't won a bunch of races either. They went through a cold snap. He didn't win a race in the playoffs till the last one. But you know what they had in their pocket? They had a bunch of playoff. He didn't have that this year. He has no margin for error. For them to keep advancing, they're going to have to win a race. And I I don't know that that's going to happen.
0: Now, Doug, uh, the schedule's been crazy since we had a COVID break. We've had midweek races. We've had doubleheader weekends. No practicing, no qualifying. Um, you know, now we have the Daytona road course race. Uh, we did the road course at Indy. Kind of an opportunity for NASCAR to do a lot of experimenting. Of all the experimentations that NASCAR has done this year, what to you is the one thing that you would like for them to maybe carry over going further on into the scheduling?
2: Alfie, I'm not trying to cop out on this. I like a lot of the things they've done. I would be remiss if I just gave you one. Uh, I have advocated the doubleheaders for a long time. There is no reason to go to Michigan Raceway six weeks apart or Pocono six weeks apart. Go up there, run the doubleheaders, saves everybody a lot of money, saves the fans a lot of angst. They can go stay the weekend, catch all the racing they want. I love that. Uh, I I think, I think we'll see a little bit more of that. And I think those would be two tracks prime to run doubleheader events. Uh, Midweek racing. I like It's not a huge success on television. Uh, I think part of that is because people don't know it's there. You know, you just drop a race out of the sky on Thursday night. Oh, we're going to run the makeup race from Charlotte on Thursday night. Race fans, like everybody else, are creatures of habit. But I think we will see more midweek races. And the ultimate prize that kind of goes with the other two things we just talked about are shorter races. Uh, I've I've been advocating, we don't need to be running 500 laps at Bristol this weekend. And I know for some people that's blasphemy, but we just, we don't need it. We don't need 500 laps at Martinsville in a month. That's, it's mind numbing. Um, These shorter races have produced more excitement. You get to crunch time quicker. And as Americans, we want, we want quicker. We want the drive through service. You know, we, we, we complain in five minutes to get a hamburger. So, all of those things I really like. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that in a few years we're going to see a schedule that is shorter from the first race to the last race, but has more races in it.
0: I yeah. totally agree. I think NASCAR's done an extraordinary job of of being able to um, do so much experimentation with what you know with an opportunity they had. So, so it, it was great. So, uh, Mr. Rice, you're going to be busy this weekend, along with the rest of the PRN crew. So, who's going to be joining you? At Bristol, as you guys will be broadcasting live Saturday night.
2: Mark Garrow will be up in the booth with me as usual. uh, We only have one turn announcer. That'll be Rob Albright. Brett McMillan will be in the pits along with Wendy Venturini and Brad with a small crew that goes to Bristol because it's a little track. Um, My loyalties are going to be divided Saturday before the night race because my my alma mater of Appalachian State, for the first time ever, will be playing on CBS in the 3.30 uh, Southeastern Conference time slot. They have opted to pick up App State and Marshall. So I have a feeling I will be in the box early to call the race. But I'm not going to lie. I'm probably not thinking a whole lot of race. I need to get all my homework done before then. Well, uh, what's your prediction on the score? For App State and Marshall, I think App will edge them out, but I think Marshall's a good program. They've won a lot of football games over the years. I think it's going to be something like 34 to 28 App State.
0: Well, we're looking forward to not only watching Appalachian State on Saturday, but listening to the delightful tones of Doug Rice and the Performance Racing Network staff. Uh, go PRN.com to check out the local station in your area. Go to PRN.com. Also, you can stream it there. And also Sirius XM NASCAR Channel 90 will have it as well. Uh, Mr. Rice, thank you for spending time, uh, taking time to join us this week on Southern Race Week Radio. Safe travels to Bristol, and we'll talk to you again down the road, my friend. Thanks so much for having me hey. on, I really appreciate it. Hey, this is Dennis Dickmeyer, president of Richmond International Raceway, and you are listening to Southern Race Week. Welcome back to Southern Race Week Radio along the far-flung Southern Race Week Radio network South V as we continue with this week's edition of Southern Race Week Radio, as we told you earlier in the program, Hall of Famer, Red Farmer, newest member, of the NASCAR Hall of Fame, recovering at home after uh, suffering from COVID-19, but he is good. He's uh, out of the hospital, back at home and recovering, and hopefully will be racing a Talladega short track here in just a matter of weeks. But earlier this year, we had the opportunity to speak with Red Farmer after his announcement of being inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame. So here is that interview with Red Farmer here on Sunday Race Week Radio. Mr. Farmer, thank you so much for taking time to uh, join us this week on Sunday Race Street Radio. Let me ask you the first question. Has it been um, problematic now to hear people referring to you as NASCAR Hall of Famer? Has it gotten old to you yet?
3: No, it's, it's kind of hard to get used to, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, to hear them, you know, a few of them say that to you. So it's, uh, it's quite an honor to have that anyway. Well, Mr. Farmer, the NASCAR Hall
0: of Fame changed up the induction process. They went to separate ballots now. You're the first recipient of the Pioneer ballot, the new Pioneer ballot the Hall of Fame has has included this year. I spoke to Winston Kelly last week, and he said if there's anyone who's more deserving of winning the first year of the Pioneer Award, it's Red Farmer. And I got to do a little bit of research about you, sir, and you've had an amazing career in continuing to race uh, even today. Uh, tell me, how did you get into racing? Because today, a lot of drivers, you know, my father got me started, my grandfather got me started. You know, back in your days, you guys kind of built this sport to what it is today. So for you, how did you become interested and fall in love with the sport of racing?
3: well in 1948 a buddy of mine uh uh daddy had a old 34 ford that they was running and he'd had a falling out with his driver i didn't know anything about stock car racing that time and uh and earl says uh you want to drive my dad's car sunday i said what kind of car (laughs) he said well he's got a car he runs out of Opalaka speedway and i said well we'll try it i thought i'd go out there and do it because i was kind of a crazy driver on the street with my little 37 Ford I had anyway. And I went to Opalaka Speedway and got in his car. And it was kind of, it wasn't really a racetrack at that time. It was an abandoned airport strip up at the Opalaka. And we used to go down the one of the runways, turn through the dirt over to the other runway and come back the other way and then make a turn in the dirt again and come back over on the other driveway so it was kind of a weird racetrack but when i come off of the dirt and hit the asphalt i flipped that car and turned it over about twice and rolled over and landed back on four wheels and i kept going again and uh that never, never stopped and and i after it was over with you know i told myself that was the most fun i've had a lot of years so i've been doing it ever been doing it for 73 years now that was before in 1953, I came uh, I came to Daytona and ran my first race on the beach course. Brought a Hudson up there, and that was my first NASCAR race in 1953 on the beach course.
0: And I got to say, I've watched some old video footage of the races that they used to hold on the beach before they built the Super Speedway. And my I have two young boys who are six and four years old, and they love the movie Cars. So they've grown to love NASCAR. We watch the races on on Sundays as well, and during the quarantine, we were watching a lot of, of the old classic races. Um, and we were watching some of the footage from the, the races on the beach. And they were so fascinated that they had cars that would race. Because they've been to the beach a couple of times. And they, they think of the beach as where people surf and lay out and, and go swimming. And they're like, they were fascinated that cars were racing around the track at, uh, on the beach. So for you, how, how, and I've seen some of the great footage of that. I can't imagine what it was like to be able to race on the beaches of Daytona. Tell me about the crowds that were out for these early races. Tell me what kind of people were coming to attend these races early on.
3: Well, they acted, when they ran the beach course, they didn't have, they had a little bit of a grandstand in the north turn, but that was the only place that had anything. Everybody, they had to stand alongside the racetrack in the Palmetto's and watch the races. See, we ran two miles down A1A Highway. Went through the south turn, come back out on the beach, run two miles up the beach, and went through the north turn and come back out on A1A again. So it was a actually a little over a four mile racetrack with two turns and had a beach which you could run. uh, A1A was so narrow back in those days it was real tough to pass going down the straight back the back straightaway. But when you got on the beach when the tide was out, you could run twenty abreast. It was seemed like it was a quarter of a mile wide the beach race. And of course, a lot of them used to go out there and run with their two right side tires almost in the water to more or less cool their tires down. So it was kind of weird, really, to run that.
0: <laughs> well, growing up, you know, in NASCAR and becoming a fan, I know how much sponsorship and money it goes into for these teams now to race. You got to have sponsors, you got to have a lot of money, you got to have a lot of investment. So for you back then racing, what was it like financially? How were you able to keep a team running? And how were you able to financially be able to be out there? Because for you guys, you, you had a winner place possibly to be able to race in the next upcoming event.
3: Well, that's right. We, we ran from race to race. It's just like uh, people work from paycheck to paycheck to survive. We did the same thing with our racing career. Uh, but like when it started that car, when I drove that Hudson up, how I started, I didn't even have a tow truck or a trailer. We drove the race car, the Hudson, up from Miami to Daytona. Me and my mechanic with the suitcases in the back seat, a little toolbox in the trunk, listening to the radio and drove it all the way up <laughs> to Daytona. Uh, so that's how, we, that's how we started NASCAR. You know, then you know, the way I started that, and to think that uh, 68 years later, I'm in the Hall of Fame, you know, it's really kind of mind-boggling. We had to fix our cars up. If we had trouble with a, a little bit of trouble in the pits and stuff, you didn't just park it we worked on it we had to we fixed it up somehow to get back on that racetrack so we had to run to get a paycheck to be able to feed our families and it was a tough deal uh, back in those days to survive because the purse money wasn't there you know
0: speaking with nascar hall of famer here red farmer on uh, southern race week radio and another great interesting fact that i learned from uh, watching your dale jr podcast interview that i found probably one of the most fascinating tidbits of information was that you raced against three generations of Earnhardt's racing with Ralph Earnhardt, Dale senior and Dale junior, which I think is an amazing, amazing accomplishment and says a lot about your longevity and your ability to do what you do year in and year out. And I mean, can you tell me the difference in the style of the way you race each one of those individual guys is, is is there a lot of differences between Ralph Dale Sr
3: and Dale you know, Jr in the way were they race? Drivers and they all wanted to win. So it's always the same with the you know it just like I say it I, the Petties, I drove against all the Petties. I drove back in wow. Lee, Petty, Lee Petty and also Buck Baker. In fact in 56 when I won my first NASCAR National Championship in 1956 Buck Baker was the Cup champion and uh, I was the modified champion and Ralph Earnhardt Dale's granddaddy was a sportsman champion that year. So <laughs> I raised the Bakers and the Petties and the Earnharts in all of your years. So it's, uh, but they were all top competitors, you know, in racing.
0: Mr. Farmer, you've you've seen NASCAR there from the beginning. You were there basically to put the first foundation to what NASCAR is today. Now, as you look at NASCAR today and what it has become and what it has done over the years, Did you ever think that what y'all were doing back then would result in what NASCAR is today?
3: You know, I'll tell you what. Uh, If you've been in NASCAR as long as I have and seen from where it came to what it is now, they would be amazed. Uh, I remember, I think it was in 53, when I went to get my NASCAR license, I asked them where they go, and they gave me an address and told me where to go. And I went over and it was a two story frame house on the beach on Pennsylvania Avenue, backed up to the Bay area. And I drove, I then parked in the driveway and walked up the sidewalk and knocked on the screen door. And Mary Bruner was sitting in a desk in the living room and told me to come in. <laughs> and I went in there and got my NASCAR license from Mary Bruner sitting in the, 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 on a desk in the living room. And I bought a license, probably cost me $15. And I told them, I said, well, where's Bill France's office? She said, upstairs in the bedroom. <laughs> now, you see what happened now they I think they was in the rebuilding stage of trying to get a new office or something wow. that was their temporary place. But I remember buying my first NASCAR license from a lady sitting in the living room of a two-story house. Now you look at this, what they've got down in Daytona. I, I mean, it's just, it's, like I said, I've seen it through 60, almost 70 years and it, it's kind of mind-boggling, and I can think of the from the inspections we've gone through to the development of different stuff all through the years. And I've always said the most important thing to me of all those years of the, of the development was the development of the fuel cell. To me, that was one of the most important safety features that they've ever had with the fuel cell, because there's not a driver alive that'll tell you. He's not scared of fire in, the, in a race car. I mean, it's just uh, – and when they come out with a fuel cell, to me that was one of the most important things that they came out with in the, uh, my whole career is a fuel cell.
0: Speaking with NASCAR Hall of Famer Red Farmer here on uh, Southern Race Street we got a, a couple of minutes left here before we uh, wrap things up. But, you know what, I love talking to you, sir. It's like you're a big kid at heart. And, uh, you know, you remind me of someone that I would love to be when, you know, as I get older in age, you know, continuing to love the things that you do. And, and, it's, and you still race, you know. I know the, for instance, I've been trying, I was trying to get you on the show a few weeks ago, and they told me you were busy getting your car ready for Talladega Short Track. So you're still out there running and gunning with a lot of these young kids who might not necessarily know exactly who you are and what you've done. So let me ask you, how do you interact, and how is
3: it, the, and
0: how is it racing with maybe a lot of these younger kids out there?
3: Well, I run, I always race everybody on the racetrack like they race me you know what i mean yes, And sir. you learn the drivers that are a little rough and the ones that'll rub you ones that'll run you in the wall coming off the corner and the ones that'll chop you going in the corner you learn the different drivers their techniques and stuff and as long as they drive me fair then i'm gonna drive them fair but uh uh you know it's it's everybody out there is wanting to run up front wanting to run as fast as they can so they're always going to run their limit but uh You know, like I said, the youngsters, uh, they drive me just like they drive everybody else. And that's what I want them to. I don't want any special favorites because I'm 87 years old. You know, I want want to go out there and have a good time and race. But, you know, I've won enough races in my time that I don't have to win anymore. I don't expect to, really. I've ran seconds and thirds. And I've ran, uh, last year I had 12 top tens and five top fives. And I can still be competitive and run up in the top ten about every week. So. As uh, long as I go there and have a good time and, and have a good race for somebody, if I go out there and, and rub fenders and bumper and shove and just have a good race and finish seventh, eighth, and ninth, that's still fine with me. I don't have to win races anymore. It's just like a professional golfer. He goes out, he quits, or he retires, but he goes out on the weekend and plays around the golf with his buddies, you know, and have a just have a good time. That's basically what I'm doing now. I'm just going out there and having a good time.
0: Now, when you watch NASCAR races today, uh, wh- what are your thoughts as you watch today's stars as they go around and, and continue the legacy traditions that you guys have set up?
3: Well, if you see the cars that we drove back in the days when we didn't even have power steering, oh. uh, we didn't have these fancy the $5,000 seats that they had, you know, and and uh, uh, what would these drivers be doing if they 40 years ago drove the cars that we drove? We oh. had to manhandle our cars, you know, and and... I know I went down uh, this year to the Snowball Derby in Pensacola, and I hadn't been on asphalt in 20 years. And I had a buddy down there had a car and I asked him to take it around. So I took that little car down at the Snowball Derby and got in it to take it around the racetrack for the first time in 20 years in asphalt. And I got in that car in the second lap, I was comfortable. The cars that they've got now with the technology and everything they got nowadays, they practically drive themselves, really. I mean, the car was so much easier to drive compared to what we drove years ago when we ran 500-mile races without, without power steering, without no cool suits, without all these seats that hold you in, you know what I mean? Yes, sir. Maybe <laughs> a belly straps, all we had. But uh, it's, it's come a long way, technology, the safety and everything about it. But uh, I'm glad that I was a part of it, and I saw it grow up from nothing up to what it is now.
0: Let me tell you, Mr. Farmer, I could sit here and listen to you talk and tell stories all day long. I mean, I think you need to have your own television show because I could watch watch you tell stories and, and just listen to just the days of uh, of past with you. So, it, it was, like I said, sir, it's been an honor to speak with you. And congratulations uh, once again on your induction into the uh, class of uh, 2021 for the NASCAR Hall of Fame. So pretty soon we will see you enshrined uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina. So, uh, Mr. Farmer, thank you so much for taking time to join us this week. Hey, this is NASCAR driver Trevor Bain, and you're listening to Southern Race Week.
1: Hey, folks, I'm, uh, I'm William Barber. Uh, my friends, some of my family, my cousins, my neighbors, including the IRS. Call me WB, uh, and this is Alfie, setting high atop at his pit box. And this is uh, Southern Race Week radio show. Uh, and Southern Race Week uh, on your podcast. Uh, Alfie, remind everyone where they can find us in case they miss us on the air on a radio station.
0: That's right. The Southern Race Week podcast available for you every Monday on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. All you got to do is go to the respective sites, go to the search, type in Southern Race Week, and you'll find all our episodes of season one of our podcast. And while you're there, we can appreciate it if you subscribe to us, like us, leave us a comment, a rating as well. Uh, we really appreciate all the feedback we get from the fans of Southern Ranks Week, either on the radio show or the podcast. Once again, available on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud.
1: Well, you know, Atlanta Motor Speedway and the Friday night drags and the third or may have been canceled this year, but there's one thing that Atlanta Motor Speedway is trying to have and make sure that everybody knows about is the uh, Atlanta Summer Summit Motorama going to be taking place. And, um, hey, we want to make sure that y'all get out there. Go check it out. And uh, also, too, don't forget, they had some great racing action out there with their friends from the uh, Legends program. And don't forget, here on Southern Race, we'll get you up to speed on everything you can do at a racetrack. Find us on Twitter. Find us on Instagram. And remember to be right back here next week as we bring you more of Short Track Super Speedway Racing Action. Until then, I'm William Barber. I'm Alfie. We'll see y'all at a short track near you.